2017, three men joined together in a pact to see what they could collectively do to advance civilization, further the cause of world peace, and elevate mankind. These three men were internationally renowned musician and Lincoln Park multi-instrumentalist Dave Phoenix Farrell, multiple PGA Tour champion and world-class golfer Brendan Steele, and Mark. They named themselves the Members. Those who they chose to sit with and ponder the mysteries of the universe, they named the guests. What you're about to listen to is one of those historic conversations. Welcome to the Member Guest Podcast. Welcome to Member Guest. So today... We are here. We're in the the basement in St. Louis. We use that all the time. But this is literally a home away. It from makes home. it sound like we have we've gone to like a bar called the basement or something. You know, like oh, we're in the basement today. We are literally in the basement of a doctor in the St. Louis area's house. Is that correct, Brendan? Yeah, that's right. The room I'm staying at. Just to jump right in. It has the decorations of a girl who has been in that room from winning her fifth grade. Uh, basketball championships all the way through prom and that's still the decor of my guest room that i'm staying in i'm in i'm in the fifth grade to high school room that's because it's not a guest room it's It's, her it's her room (laughs) right her actual room i am living in that room you are for the week you're the guest in her room as a you're the teenage girl you always wanted to be i'm kind of living out my own there you go she's a member you're the guest i'm living out my own best life (laughs) i'm the guest in this situation so boys it's been a weird day today uh, out here in St. Louis. I, for one, admittedly, am not good with humidity. I suck in humidity. It drives me crazy. And possibly just because I just want to take another shower and go back to bed all day. It's exhausting. But I am all for, which we never get in Southern California, the lightning storms. We had some of those today as well. Before we get even to that, we've got to introduce our guest. Hmm. We should probably do that. We should We should get him plugged into the mix. <laughs> Welcome him into the fold. Brendan, who do we have today? Oh, today we lay have it, lay it on us. We have a six foot four, two hundred and ten pound beast of a man <laughs> yeah. from Rancho Santa Fe, California. He won the two thousand seven NCAA championship while playing at USC individual championship. Sorry, Dave. Best USC. school in SoCal. Sorry. And we'll talk about that for mm-hmm. sure. Tough break. He was the two thousand ten player of the year on the nationwide tour sorry steely as well as the yeah that's bummer for me i'll take it i was six I, I was sixth on the money <laughs> yeah. list that year i'll take yeah, it yeah, yeah. i got my card uh he's played in 141 pga tour events it's 13 top tens including two playoff losses i know sorry jamie yeah toughies and one top 10 in the 2008 zurich classic as one half of team that's, steel that's and the Love. fifth major that's the fifth major yeah, so Top ten in the major. I'm, I'm happy. He had a that. really good partner that week. Yeah, it's we really, if you want to split hairs, that is the only team major on the calendar. Yeah, that is true. That is the one team major yeah, of the that. year. That's pretty. That's a big event. He's a pilot, a surfer, dancing machine, a fun guy to travel the world with. <laughs> Let's give a big <laughs> member guest welcome to Mr. Jamie Lovemark. Thank you. Hi. Cheers. Ow. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. A lot of people who I've met over the years and, gr- and granted if they meet me and I've and it's a fan and they've seen us play in a show that kind of thing that's on a big stage one of the first things out of the mouth is like wow you're a lot smaller than I thought <laughs> 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 that right off the bat I'm like I 
every time I, I'm almost, I should be, you know, 20 years later, I should be prepared for that. I should have like a go-to response, but yeah. it still gets me and catches me off guard. Maybe thank you. It might sting a little bit. I'm, it, it, I usually try to like play it off with a joke and it also doesn't help that as soon as somebody says that they immediately realize like, uh oh, like, <laughs> like that just came out of my mouth. That probably wasn't very nice to say. Uh, now they're, now they're verbal, verbal diarrhea. Oh, wow, so good to meet you, Phoenix. You're so much smaller than I thought. They're probably rehearsing that for the last like week. They've rehearsed something. They've rehearsed yeah. something else. Just, they, they have rehearsed <laughs> that was something the best else. Thing they had. That's the word vomit that comes out. They're just like, I don't know what I rehearsed, but this Whoops. is what I've got right now. They are picturing me to be six four two ten. I only get to this because when someone meets you, or at least. I think for a lot of the golfers, when you're in that environment, you're kind of like, wow, I didn't realize Jamie was like 6'4", and kind of a monster when I stay next to him. And when you shoulder-checked me today out on the golf course, <laughs> I, I was see, like... I didn't see it. You were too short. <laughs> walked, walked right past you. When, <laughs> hey, little buddy, you want an autograph? <laughs> when you walked through me and kind of muttered, move it, turd, then uh, I felt the power. Oh, yeah. But do, do you ever get the... I, well, like, growing you guys up, are a lot bigger than you look like on well, TV. Well, growing up, I got the reverse of you. I got the, wow, you're really tall. And I had nothing to say to that. I just started saying, thank you. I'm like, I don't know. It's not a bad thing being tall or short. It doesn't really matter. But I didn't really know how to respond. I was like, just Well, thanks. and it's not anything that you did to be tall. Yeah, I'm like, right? okay. I could be a lot taller. My dad's six seven. Mom's five nine, So I could be an absolute monster. If you really would have put your mind to it. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, you, didn't do it. You tried to stop and be you know, a little bit more Reasonable, normal. yeah. yeah. Be like six four. That's six four is tall. Six four and a half. Whatever. Six three. Six two. I mean, Ernie Els, he's gigantic. He makes me look small. If Brennan, if you had a normal size head, you'd be six four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you had my head, we'd be the same size. Yeah, you do. That, that's true. If you're looking from shoulders up, yes, you're, you have a taller head than Brendan. Yeah, I guess bigger. <laughs> that's that's all he's yeah. got on you. Bigger head than Keegan. Let I know, that be known. and it, you know what? It flies in the face of everything that I like to say about Keegan, which is the problem. Uh, that's why I try to downplay it every time. He's like, I actually have a bigger head than Keegan. I'm like, stop it. We can't call you big head. He's already big head. <laughs> the, biggest, like, the biggest head. Yeah, biggest head. But I think just like looking looking through the the player profiles on the PJ Tour, like the app, everyone's getting taller. Better athletes starting to play golf. I'm not sure the actual average height size, but it's you know it's creeping in the well, and low even sixes. Guys now are like, oh yeah, Jordan Smith, he's a small guy. It's like no, no he's, he's not. not. Jim Furyk, he's not small at all. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's I saw Jim today. And I'm like, yeah, he's not. Damn, small. He's, yeah, he's tall. You know, and, and guitarists too, getting bigger. All the time. Every year. You, you yeah. look at the stats. They have to make guitars bigger better, and bigger all the time. The necks are getting harder to play because they're wider for guys with bigger hands. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> the wide neck. So how did, like, take us back to when you guys first started either playing together or at least getting to know each other. So the first time that we played together, which you don't remember. No. I do because you were leading the money list and I was like, ooh, that's James Lovemark. Yeah. I had met That's you. I cool talked guy. to you a little bit, but um, we played together in Boise, 2010, and then we both got our card that year. So then we started to hang out and play together a little bit the next year. But you got hurt that year, yeah, as right. well. So we had a little bit of a hiatus while you were getting healthy and then getting back out here and whatever. And then since then, we've spent a ton of time together. Mm-hmm. Too much time. Too much. Time. I would say. Yeah. That's why I live in Florida. You live in California. I know, but you still represent West Coast. At I least. do. So I moved to Jupiter end of '09. I didn't know a single person there. I don't know why I moved there, honestly, but in hindsight, it was great. Um, Were you moving there at that point from San Diego? Yeah, from, I guess, yeah, from San Diego, from from USC. So I moved there. Um, they had a great course out there called Bears Club. They're like, hey, come out and check it out. Join if you want to. I went there. I'm like, wow, oh, this is really cool. I want to try something different from California, you know, experience some Bermuda Greens, windy. And I didn't know a single person for the first, like, six months. It was really weird in hindsight. And then I met Keegan 
on web that year and he's like i want to move to jupiter i'm like oh please come down this would be awesome so he moved down that year and then we, we all kind of kicked it off and jupiter is kind of a it's a really beachy town surfer feel kind of had a little some of the qualities that southern california had which i loved a lot so that drew me in and then you know just ease of travel is nice and some different obvious reasons and i'm always trying to get him to move back and i will eventually, I'm, I will eventually. I'm always i'm always pushing it yeah pushing it really hard but i want to for sure it's just a matter of time before my wife and i move back back to southern california back to cali growing up in san diego brennan says you you grew up doing some surfing down there yeah lots probably a few times a week here and there i was not very good too tall one of those tall person problems Damn my, it. my cg was too high <laughs> kept falling head, over too yeah. tall <laughs> couldn't duck dive too tall head was too big too buoyant but yeah i mean i love surfing i love the fish anything in the water i'm i'm down for i think surfing being somewhat comparable to golf in the sense that if you're doing it once a year you're you're not going to ever make any progress and for the longest time i probably surfed once or twice a year from all the way up through like really meeting and starting to date my wife when i started talking to mark about the prospect of dating Lindsay. That's starting to sound weird as I'm saying it. But I, had, I had to go to Mark for permission. <laughs> Mark had known Lindsay first. I remember the conversation. I don't know if you do, but I think you were driving or I was driving our tour van at the time. Yeah. In the midst of maybe a week or two left on this one van tour we're doing. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to ask Lindsay out. And I'm thinking this through this in my head when we get back home. And I'm like, you think that's a good idea? And Mark's feedback at that point was like, well, as you know, Lindsay's kind of a really good surfer. <laughs> and the subtext there was, and you're not. Yeah, you're a kook. So Which she'll definitely turn you down. You're a total kook. <laughs> Which I knew a year or two years down the road when I'm talking to Lindsay about it. She's like, oh, Mark was totally right. I had just gotten to a point where I was okay with the potential prospect, and I like to think that I'm a big part of it, the potential prospect of, like, I could date a guy who's not, like, a great surfer. Wow. <laughs> her whole, like, she had gone through, like, surfing through college and all this stuff with this mindset. So she of, lowered her standards just for you. Yeah. She, Dropped them way down. At this stage, we had known each other for five or six years, so we'd known each other for a long time, well before Lincoln Park had done anything. It was at the beginnings of the band. She was kind of saying, you know, I'm like, I'm not really, like, into music that much. Like, I love music, I, you know, that kind of thing, but I'm not, like, the go-to-the-shows kind of person. Like, we we were on the OzFest. She's like, I don't know if I could do, like, the OzFest for forever. And my response was just like, neither can I. <laughs> like, I can't do this, like, 10-week OzFest <laughs> summer tour through, like, the middle of the country on a bus, and it's, like, 120 and rain and thunder and lightning and humid and miserable and dirty mm -hmm. and gross and i no like this is not my future plan she's like okay good so i, I had a lot of strikes against me early on yeah. i think that's that's the moral of the story can you tell your first kiss story with Lindsay? i so, put you on the spot <laughs> <laughs> you've never heard this, no, I heard this. Oh, that's good. Good. Oh, fill in any blanks that, that sounds terrible too like again mark was there for that or, 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 or did you have the, to ask mark permission, permission. <laughs> so Another really good friend of ours who actually was uh, our guitarist in The Snacks, he had heard this story. I can't remember if it was like a friend of his or a friend of a friend's who, on a date, in all seriousness, with no joking, had kissed a girl for the first time and then whispered, good girl. Like, okay? And like petted her head. Or so something. we were like, what the hell is going on with that? And so... He knew I was going out with Lindsay, and, and again, Lindsay and I were like, we were friends and had known each other for so long that it's that gamble of like, I've known her and thought she's awesome for like five years. She's always been in San Diego. I've been living up in LA. 
now we're in the same spot. Like, if I ask her out and this doesn't work, it could be is so it going to blow up yeah. our friendship? And we have so many mutual friends and all this stuff. All I'm that, on Team Lindsay. Well, all I'm that, on Team Dave. All that just to say, I'm talking to Ryan, and I'm like, dude, I'm if I kiss her tonight, I'm gonna, I'm doing it. I'm doing the good girl. Like, I'm going for it. And he's like, dude, no, you're not. He's, I'm like, yeah, it's on. So he's like, all right, you gotta, you gotta see how that goes. So anyway, we have a great date, and I'm thinking like, this is really working. And then I'm aren't totally. On, aren't you on a boat like out on the lake or something with like an umbrella? We Am I making this up. Were there we, fireworks? We went on a paddle yeah. boat. On, I'm just out setting on the, lake. the scene here. Came back to a park near where my mom lived. <laughs> <laughs> just as a yeah. Un- <laughs> unnecessary bit of information of the, but we kiss. I whisper, good girl. Oh, my gosh. No, you didn't. I did. And and she will love it that I'm telling this story. And it was also like a further test because I knew she knew my sense of humor. And I knew she we had known each other for a while at this point. It wasn't like a, a it wasn't a real first date where she'd just be like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so to her credit, she laughed. And she was like, what? Like, what was that? Like she and I didn't I didn't like break or laugh myself. I did it in true character and it was super creepy. And she's just like, what was that? Uh, <laughs> How stupid is that, though, too? Like, that's like a total, like, early 20s move where you're just like, good girl. You're not even thinking. I'm, I'm just, surprised she didn't just punch you in the face and <laughs> bail out. Dave always has me doing weird stuff. Granted, it hasn't been too much weird stuff lately, but, like, I never surfed. I mean, I grew up in the mountains. I didn't, I yeah. don't know how to surf at all. But, like, I went out a few times with Dave and Lindsay, and I'm just, like, trying to get out, and I'm like, I, I'm going to die out here. I know. Like, this is ridiculous. And by the time I get out there and I'm still on my board, I'm like, all right. All right. Well, I'd, I'd like to just, yeah, yeah, now just what? stay out it's here. Like, <laughs> what don't, do I do don't want to do that again. Yeah, I don't want to do that again. That's well, how do we get good. back in now? He's had me do that. And then he's taken me to hot yoga classes. <laughs> I, don't do, I don't do yoga regular temperature. I'm doing hot yoga. He's like, well, I remember one day he called me. He's like, you ever done any distance running? Like, no, Dave. No, I haven't. It's like, oh, I was just thinking, like, just a little cruise, like a 12-miler today. Like, And then the one day he's like, come over for a pool workout. I mean, he's got me, like, carrying dumbbells under the water. He's like, well, like Laird Hamilton down there surfing for he's like, North if Shore. He's like, if you're not going to make it, just drop the dumbbells and come up and then go back down and get them and restart. And I'm like, wow. No, I'm just going to swallow the water until I pass out. I'm good. I'm going to finish this workout. But – I don't know if it's more ridiculous that he asked me to do it or that I say yes. That's one thing that the way Brendan described you, Jamie, is he was like, Jamie's down for everything. He's the guy who's always, he's in. I, I just thought that this was a, a fun thing outside of, of golf that you'd, you've been flying. Yeah. I just finished my private pilot's license. So I'm officially a pilot. If you want to get back home to LA, I'll take you. <laughs> Might take a long time, but hopefully we'd make it. <laughs> Do you fly slower? Is that? <laughs> oh yeah, I fly slow. I fly. I mean, I fly as fast as the plane will fly, but which is a very slow plane. Now, yeah. At this point, how many hours have you logged in? I have fifty. Fifty. So hours. to get your private, you require forty. Is this the long time passion you've had? Yeah, I've had it since I was like five. My dad took me to the airport, um, Palomar. You're familiar with that. So we used to go there a lot of Sunday mornings and have breakfast at the called the hangar and like walk around the hangars, took it to planes, and I would always be obsessed with it. And I have no idea why it came about, but. Yeah, just finally came around to doing it, and I, I loved it. What kind of planes have you been flying at this point? <coughs> just Cessna? a Cessna. Yeah, yeah, just a little Cessna. 110 yeah. miles an hour, just bouncing around the Florida air, smacking my head on the top, and, you know, 
telling that's you. Stupid. That's one of the few circumstances where it'd be an advantage to be a lot smaller. You'd be a good Dave, pilot. Good pilot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Pilot and surfing. Yeah. Keep going. Keep I'm going. Just, I can't see where we're going. I can't see where the dashboard. <laughs> Why is this control thing so big? How, do I, how am I supposed to see? Yeah. What's it like flying solo for the first time? Are you nervous at that point, or did you? Feel- I wasn't nervous. I felt like I was not born to do it. But I was like so just mentally prepared to do it my whole life. I'm like, wow, this is this is really awesome. Although that being said, like my first landing was a little dicey, like a little crosswind, and my instructor's on the ground on the runway with a portable um, VHF receiver, and he's watching me. He's telling me what to do: a little high, a little low. It's like landing on the aircraft carrier, right? There's someone always talking to you, telling right. me what to do. So. I was nervous doing my first landing, but after that, it came super natural. Um, I'm getting my instrument rating now. That'll take another 40 hours, so it'll be like flying through clouds, basically not looking at the windshield. So that'll really open up some doors for if I want to essentially get a plane and travel the PGA Tour via an airplane that I'm flying, I can do that with. That's a goal? I think so. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool. I'm not, not a crazy plane, not a jet or anything, just something small enough where I can fly myself and my wife, hopefully, if she wants to fly, she's a scary flyer. I don't blame her, though. With 50 hours under your belt, you are approximately, give or take, 9,950 hours away from potentially being able to fly a Lincoln Park jet. <laughs> <laughs> because of the Malcolm Gladwell like rule of 10,000 hours. Yeah, makes totally. Make, they want to have pilots that have like 10,000 hours of, of airtime. Mm-hmm. Which I get. I'm willing to bend the rule here and there and go to like. Well, eight, forty eight, hours seems 8, like not a lot of time, and it's not. I mean, forty hours. You're taking a machine off the ground, flying it through you know a bunch of weird scenarios that you're not really used to and 40 hours is essentially what's eight hours a day for one week if you break right. it down like a normal work week's like 40 hours so it doesn't seem like a lot it took me about a year as much as we travel and they kind of limit you to having two flights a week which you know meant for me like you know three flights every month and just breaking it down slowly but i'm still very much learning although the faa thinks that i'm good enough to fly by myself and i am but you know it's it's definitely a little little dicey I wouldn't. I wouldn't be excited to trust myself at forty hours. I hear you. But also, especially if I've done it over like the course of a year, I feel like I forget stuff I did yesterday. Sure. Like, what if there's something I did a year ago mm-hmm. in my flight training that was like a really important hour? It's like surfing or golfing. If you don't do it every every week, every three weeks, every month, you get rusty, and you don't want to be rusty in the air. <laughs> so you guys, had, we had mentioned early uh, the Zurich, where you guys have teamed up over this past year. This was the first year that you guys were team. Steel and love. Steel and love. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. I mean, it's steel and love, like we're taking it, right? But then we're also, it could be steel is in love. That sounds bad. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't say much after that. And uh, Mark, edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Team Steel and Love had a good showing. Top 10 in the fifth major. We'll take that. We had a a good fun week. Yeah, we did. It's a lot of fun. It's nice to do something a little different. Nice walk-up music. So still you had the tea on the first tee, and it was just like a, an anticipation of like what the, what's going to feel like to have the music. So it starts playing, and we're just sitting there like, wow, this is kind of awkward. And it's, you know, it's, was it California Love by Tupac? And it's like, wow, this you is don't know very if hit, strange. Hit during do I hit the, during the music? Do I hit no, after it? And then does it just stop? And it just stops. And it's 10 to... seconds, and it stops. Yeah, and, and, you just, just, and you just whack it. It's, <laughs> it's quiet, but it's not really quiet, because everybody's like, oh, that was a weird choice. Like, yeah. So do you, like, start your backswing as soon as the music stops, or do you just wait No, I tried bit? to then, like, be like, okay, there it stopped. Okay, uh, where did I want to hit weird it? Jokes, okay. kind of, uh, uh, what's the mentality like in a team event like that? Are you guys getting each other pumped up? Do you already extend forgiveness to each other yeah. if you screw each other with a no shot? No apologies. Number, right. Rule number one, no apologies. Yeah. We're trying our hardest. I mean, I'm going to hit bad shots on my own 
on a normal stroke play event, I'm going to hit bad shots for him and vice versa. That's just the way it's going to be. Right. You hit it and like, all right, you know what? Good luck, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what? You'll, you'll be fine. I'm not going to apologize for what I did. I tried very hard, you know. Right. We, you we say that every it, time. I'm sorry. We had it fully. <laughs> we had it fully cranking, and we got derailed. I'm sorry, but not sorry. Right at the end of the second day, yeah. we were like at the lead, in the lead. I don't know where we were. We were up there. We were close, yeah. And we hadn't really done anything wrong. We were like six under, five under. Yeah, we made two doubles yeah. in like three holes. I mean, two doubles and coming in. Jamie's game is very complimentary to mine because he's a really good putter, really good chipper. He likes to fade the ball. I like to draw the ball. So we could kind of set it up like for the alternate shot and go like okay this hole makes more sense to you this hole makes more sense for me and then having such a good chipper and putter like if i miss a green i'm like oh jamie's gonna try to make this chip like i would just be like oh just get it on the green somewhere and jamie's like oh, i'm gonna try to hole it i mean even the chip that you hit on 18 on sunday it's got this chip that i'm like oh i wouldn't want to hit this chip and i said something to Straz like oh hopefully it gives me a nice look jamie's caddy and Straz is like a nice look he's trying to make this and he like lipped it out or like ended up on the on the lip. like i didn't even have to mark it i just went up and tapped it in and i was like geez that's nice so like i would just be trying not to screw it up and jamie's trying to make it so it, it's nice to have things that are a little bit complimentary um and then jamie's just super chill out there too so there's it, no i don't good think there's me. any kind of magic formula for having a you know a good partner a partner that you mesh well with really i mean look back to the couple the winners of the last couple of years and i'm not sure that's there's much correlation between different kind of games like both guys hit it far one guy hits it long one's short i don't i'm not sure it matters i think people always say like oh horses for courses and that that may be true a little bit but i feel like if you're gonna play well you're gonna play well that week that's just the way it is mm-hmm. there's some courses that you like obviously, sure that set up but you're not guaranteed you. to play well no you're not and if you're if you show up with the game even if it's a course that you don't like you're you're gonna have a good week still yeah so comes down to if you're gonna play well you're gonna play well no we had a fun, we had a fun week though. We did like the twenty dollar reflexology, twenty five minute massage or whatever on the way home from dinner. It was incredible. And yeah, it was good. It was ridiculous. It was good. <laughs> right, off, right off Canal Street. Just all there. like laying next to each other. You yeah, know? all it's holding hands. Team little, building. Yeah. And it's like it's it's dark and quiet in there. We did. We called it team building. Yeah. Yeah. The time. Yeah. <laughs> next year, you guys get your nails done. Yeah, yeah we yeah. It, It's not a couple's massage. It's a team massage. Yeah. Let's get that name correct, please. I know for me, like watching buddies play in that situation i am like stressed out like if i'm at the masters and watching brendan play around like i'm kind of living and dying over every shot whereas i think if i'm playing in competitive golf or if doing anything and you're i'm in the moment i'm not stressing out about what i'm doing do you feel that like if if jamie's in contention and you're watching do you feel those nerves or vice versa i feel really uncomfortable watching and it's it's really just like jamie john and keegan it's like there's other guys that i want to play while i have more friends and things that i i'm like really be excited if they want but for the three of them i've i've watched them try to win tournaments and you know like i remember watching jamie in the playoff at in new orleans and i'm just like violently like nervous you feel helpless right I yeah. think it'd be kind of similar to watching like your kid play golf or your kid play a sport yeah. we're nervous right but we're not like we're in control of things and it's definitely a different kind of feeling yeah, well, and then, like I know your personality so well and your game so well. I'm like, oh, he likes the shot. Let's get it. okay. If he's there, then he can do this and he can do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I've like already got it all mapped out in my yeah. head. Um, and it was the same with with Johnny at uh, Memorial a couple of years ago. He lost in a playoff at Memorial, and Keegan and I are out there, and we're like, we got to get a cocktail. Like this is ridiculous. We're like having a drink on the veranda, trying to watch him win. You know, one of the biggest tournaments on tour, and it's just it's 
it's really, really a weird feeling. But I think it is that helplessness that where you just you know you have no control and you're just hoping for the best, you know. And you got to think about you're going to play. I mean, Steely's going to play. Gosh, four hundred, five hundred events in his entire life. Yeah, like, oh, one round hopefully. of golf. Five hundred. I mean, you're playing a couple thousand rounds of golf your entire life. Like you know, one shots. When you're fifty years old, looking back on it, you're like oh my god, why was I so nervous? Why was it so mad when I hit that shot? I'm like, it's not a big deal. It's just one shot out of thousands and thousands he hit. So that keeps perspective pretty good too. It's such a different realm of just stress as a as a watcher when you care about like the person who's hitting the shots and you don't. It's just completely. It's like that definition of of uh, helplessness. Yeah, like you have no input or control or factor in anything that's going on, and you're just like. And golf's so hard too, because I mean, you're like NBA player. He misses a free throw. Cool, man. So another free throw. Not going to really affect the game that much unless it's the last second, whatever. Tennis, you hit it in the net, whatever. On golf, like you're, you can be leading for seventy holes and make a twelve and you finish thirtieth. Like it's just, it's just the, every shot matters so much. It just that's what makes golf so hard too. There's not like a redo. You can't just shoot another shot. You know, whatever. It's just everything's so live or die. I get. Especially used to get asked a lot, what are you going to do after the band? Podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Everybody knows that. That's obvious. The, the subcontext was almost like, when the band stops working, what are you going to do next? To which I never had a good answer. I'm sure you guys, in some respect, at some point in the process of that, are. it's almost like, when are you going to get a real job? What was your guys' plan B? I didn't really have a plan B. I have a business administration degree, which is just what I use because I figured it's general. I could get some sort of a job that would be connected through golf in some way. Like somebody I'd met along the way would be willing to offer me, you know, some sort of a position somewhere. It was kind of my, that was my backup. It was not really a backup, but it was just like, I at least have a degree to fall back on it. I mean, it, granted, it's not philosophy with a minor in Greek. That's me. Yeah, oh, okay. very sorry. highly yeah, sorry. employable. Yeah, yeah, nice. Highly employable. Um, and, and then at this point, I think I would. I, I feel like I'm kind of in a similar situation to Dave as far as like Dave wants to do things that he's interested in. That's going to keep him creative with people that he wants to do things with. Like I don't want to. I don't want to do anything that's not going to be fun. I would want to do like whether it's something in golf or obviously podcasts or whatever the case is, I want to do it around people that I like and things that I enjoy, um, which I feel like I'm very fortunate to be in that position these days. But in the past, I didn't, I mean, I didn't really have anything. I wasn't, and I was never like, oh, maybe I should go get a job. I'll say that now to my caddy because I'm like being a dickhead. But like, <laughs> get me out of here. Get me out of here. I, don't you want, can I want a nine to five so bad. Yeah. I want to have happy I need to go hour. Get a re- I need to go get a job. I need to go get a job. But, um, Put me behind a desk. Put Stat. me behind a desk. I mean, people would ask me all the time, uh, so how long are you going to do this? Like if I was playing Canadian tour, even nationwide tour. Sometimes people even ask me on the PGA tour. Like, so, like, do you do you have another job? I'm like... Yeah, they don't get it. I'm like, no, I play golf all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, literally all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, when we're on the road, it's eat, sleep, golf, that's it. Like, there's nothing else really going on. But I would always just say, as as um, as long as I feel like I'm improving and I'm still enjoying it, I will keep playing. I don't always enjoy it these days. I don't always feel like I'm improving, but I'm <laughs> I'll keep playing at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a better. So you're, go, you're going back on that. <laughs> t- 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 I am answer. going back on that. That's tough though, because I mean, there's so many guys that 
didn't get their big break on the PGA Tour until at 35, 38, 40. Like, I mean, some guys at 40 start playing well. So it makes golf so hard. You can have an insane, really great junior career and then fizzle out or have a oh, he's okay junior year, have a great start to the PGA Tour year and not play well to your 40. There's so many different avenues and, like, paths to being a, a great player. So you never know. Like, we could, I could wake up next year and not be able to hit a shot for whatever reason, you know, get hurt or have the mental bang. So, um, but yeah, for having a backup plan, I never thought about it until actually, this is so funny. I talked about this to my wife yesterday. I'm like, what I'm going to do when I'm not golfing anymore. I feel we're good friends with Camilo and Luke Donald. They both had insane careers. Luke was number one in the world. Camilo's won mm-hmm. four or five times, you know, tons of money. They love what they do, but they're, they're, they're both on medical right now. So not playing golf. I'm looking at them like, wow. Like Camilo's going cycling through France and Luke's, you know, trying to do rehab. And like, if those guys don't come back for whatever reason, if they're hurt or whatever, like they don't have to work again per se, but they have to do something that's going to keep them like occupied. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I have no idea what that's going to be for me. No idea. I want to, I want to say maybe I'll be a pilot, but then I'm traveling so much anyway. So I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to figure out. Did you have like a, a notion or an idea of a dream job at any point? Maybe it's growing up or maybe it's like now, if you could pick, if you could pick anything, do you have any kind of nine to five? Uh, we, me and Keegan talk about this all the time. We're like, man, I would love just the night, wake up in the morning, have my coffee, go to work from nine to five after at five Oh one, go to happy hour with my friends, my wife, hang out, have fun, wake up, do the same and, thing. And no responsibility. Just, a, nine, just to five. nine to five. No, nah, I don't want that. Office space. I know. I dream, that's my daydream sometimes. <laughs> Just a normal I life think for, just, for a just a minute, like I, for like one month. I always had this idea in some respect that I'd be doing something where I would like put on like a nice suit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think I, I think my dad, you know, growing up or whatever, wore a suit to the office, that kind of bit. So it was, it was almost like this idea of like, you got to put on work clothes. In the back of my head, I have a romanticized notion of that. So our mutual friend, he had this office space and I was going to meet him for lunch so I'd gotten this like kick-ass tailored uh, Hugo Boss suit with my uh, computer bag. I have like this ridiculous Louis Vuitton computer bag that I've gotten from traveling from years and years ago. I mean, this awesome suit, tailored tie, dress shoes, whatever, roll in. And I'm meeting our buddy Sean and then my, our other buddy Tim. Uh, and Tim is like semi-retired and has sold a business or whatever. Tim has showed up at Sean's office in like board shorts and flip-flops. And Sean's in his office in like casual Friday kind of gear. And then I just roll in in this gnarly suit or whatever. And they're like, what are you doing? Sean's like, you can't wear that here into this space. Like people are going to think I'm actually meeting with some sort of an investment bank or some, (laughs) so they're going to think something like big is happening or going on. Like you can't just show up wearing like that kind of suit to work. I had to explain to him like, no, what I'm doing right now is I'm fulfilling one of my own like childhood fantasies. Like I'm coming to the office for work today. I'm like, I got my suit on. I got my computer. I'm going to work. So what did you do and when you got there? I took out my computer. I did some emails and, you know, went on YouTube or something stupid. But, and then went to and lunch. Then, and then we went to lunch and then we were done. What's in there? <laughs> Crackers? <laughs> yeah, I got some, bought some stuff on Amazon. I don't know. You know, the but usual. I don't even really work here. <laughs> well, there's the problem. I think that satisfied my need to wear a to nice wear suit hat. and to put on some You're probably clothes. more of a New Yorker at heart, work-wise. You know, I I might be board shorts. If there's a version of a New Yorker who goes into the office like once every six months and puts on a suit, and then the rest of the time, like I'm wearing like jammy shorts right now, even as we talk, and 
that's that's more my that's where the west coast vibe i think comes in i i grew up always loving music and playing music but never even like thinking that it could be a job i definitely view the aspect of doing music or being a musician as like a dream job we've and we've talked about it a ton and i think it's probably similar for you guys like that notion you know at some point growing up of it would be awesome to be able to play golf as my career as my job was there like one point where like holy cow like i can really do this and make an awesome career out of it yeah there's definitely there's steps Steps, yeah, but was it like a defining moment? You're like, there wasn't one defining moment, but along the way, and maybe it's comparable for you guys as well. But along the way, there's those little things of that kind of click in. And the first time I heard "One Step Closer" on the radio, because that was the first single, and the first time I heard it at K Rock, which was our home station in LA that we grew up with, that that was like, wow, that's like a that's kind of a big deal. You know, that's something that. I think it was like playing, being played on the Furious Five at nine, which is what you know they're playing new music and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and music with buzz on it. And so you cut this insane album and didn't know. I was I always wonder like if artists write a song, play a song, record it, and like right then they're like, "Holy shit, this is it!" Like, like we did nailed, you like, we did, you, did you know like that was it or no? The first time I heard the hook, so like the the chorus of "In the End," I was like, "That's that's huge," mm-hmm. and that you know that's a big big song. But there's also been songs that we've had that I hear that, and I think like that could be a big, big song. But you never know how it's gonna sit or find yeah. its space, or who's gonna gravitate towards it and why, mm-hmm. you know. And so all you can do is you can try to write those songs, or you can try to write great songs, you can try to write songs that are gonna connect. But you can't control how someone is receiving it. You know, you don't. That is completely out of your control, 100. percent So for us, a great example of that you know, being Lincoln park is we struggled and struggled and struggled to get a record deal. And we, when we finally did get a record deal, it wasn't because we started doing something differently when we were shopping and getting passed upon, we had like an early demo of in the end on that demo tape and people weren't feeling it. There's a little bit of like confusion at the time. Kid rock was already out. Um, it was sitting and living in this world of, almost like hip hop and rock music being blended together, but more in like a party vibe. I think like the record companies were a little bit like feeling that ship is kind of already sailed and it's not, it's not doing anything. But our direction with it was always like, we, we want to do it like how we're doing it. And it's a little more, you know, serious. By the time we finally did get a record deal with those songs and everything else, fans started gravitating towards it and it did start building on its, its own momentum. There was stories of, some A&R guys who had passed on us. We had probably been passed upon, passed on like 30 plus times um, with different companies where they were like, Oh, if I just would have heard, like if I would have heard in the end, like I would have signed you guys like that's so easy. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, I would have signed you immediately. And we're like, well, you heard like the demo version. Granted we worked on it more and then we went and got in a real studio and we developed it and whatever else. But you saw what we were doing. Chester singing that chorus was on the demo. Like that was on the thing that you heard, we and, didn't pa- and you passed. <laughs> like, yeah. Are there songs that you thought would be like more of a big deal when you're writing them, and then they they end up being maybe maybe they're some people's favorite songs from the album, but they didn't like, yeah. have as wide a reaching. Yeah, for yeah. sure. When we released the Hunting Party, and um, we did what's the name of that song with Rockham? Uh, Guilty dun, all the same. Dun, thank you. 
Guilty all the same. It's one of my favorite songs. So I, should, I, should, I should be more honest. Mark, edit that delay out of there so that I get credit. So the first time I heard like the mix and mastered version of that song, so that just means that the song is completed and it's it's been mixed and the sounds are going to be set and it's all ready to go on an album and it's done. But I remember just telling Lindsay, I'm like, this song is is awesome. I love it. This could be like an awesome, huge launch for this album. The side note of that is at that stage where rock radio was, it was actually really hard to get that because the formats had moved and changed and there wasn't like as much of a space for it to live at radio because it didn't have any type of like pop leanings or different things like that. And there just wasn't the same audience for it to launch. We actually kind of knew that with the whole record as a whole, but it was a great indication of a song where I'm like, were this to have been maybe even like two or three years prior to that, like the audience that it might've found, you know, passively through radio or different things like that could have been way, way different than how it, we, we had to like work to get people to like hear that. We went with that song first off that record because we knew that record was like different and it was going to be a tough record for people to like find. And it wasn't going to have big pop choruses and it wasn't going to be able to play, be played on any type of crossover format. So the hardcore fans were always going to find it because they're looking out for it. But somebody who likes the band but is a little more passive, that's going to be a harder person to get them to hear the music. That's the long answer for there's been a, a bazillion of those songs. Yeah. Where I'm like, when you when you hear a song that you played, like when you listen to a song on the radio or the final cut up version on the, after being produced, you hear yourself playing bass. Do you find fault in any notes you hit? Like if I watch myself on TV, I'm like, wow, that that looks terrible. Like, no matter what. I'm always finding faults in every swing. The setup looks bad. I'm, the grip's too strong. All this crap. Do you ever find, like, faults in that? Or is it just, like, it's good? Fun fact about me, I'm I'm probably the most faultless bass player on the planet. Like, everything is pure perfection. Everybody yeah, yeah. knows that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Like Weston, Jamie. Yeah, sorry. that's a terrible. <laughs> no, I... just really offended the uh, host of... <laughs> Check, please. <laughs> if I'm being 100% honest and open with my playing... Like there's a part of me that almost always feels a little bit like a fraud. And that's because like I I am very painfully aware of what my ability level is on an instrument versus where some other people are at on bass or guitar in the world and how much ridiculously better they are than me. When you're working in studio work as well, I will like be playing and, and having it be recorded in some way or another with a track of drums that Rob's already done sometimes also with some guitars or whatever, and it's all blended in. So I've got a little bit of a feel of what I'm playing to and creating like a groove. I'll play that and I'll feel good when I'm playing it. And then I'll listen back to it, like just soloed. So all you're hearing is what you've just played. And it's just like, oh, like really? Like that's what that sounds like? It is myself. Like, it's like looking at your golf swing. Yeah. You're like, no, it feels well, like it's right online. Why does it look like it, that? And if you're experiencing that with your golf swing, imagine how I feel when I f- see my golf swing on TV. It's just like, I'm up here, and then I'm like, that actually felt feels, like a good swing, good. and it still yeah. looks like that. Like oh, We man. talked about that with Joffrey Lupul in season one, and he was like, oh, I'm hitting it really good, and my girlfriend's on the range, and I wanted her to, to film my swing just so I could see what it looks like. And, and he's like, I've never really seen my swing, and she <laughs> takes a video of it, and I looked at it, and I went, oh, my God, that – that can't possibly be my swing. <laughs> that Does is it a, always look like that? <laughs> I don't know if it happens for everybody, but that is exactly what happens to me when I when I solo out any bass tracks that I've played. And when I listen to other people's bass playing and stuff, I'm, even if there's almost like stuff going wrong, my brain automatically goes to that they did it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my brain will argue 
that little whiffed ghost note they hit right there and that little like chunk blank like whatever like when you're listening to somebody else's mm-hmm. solo stuff like yeah they that's that's how they wanted to play it that's why it's like that is because that's what they wanted to do that's got to be some kind of an indication of my own psychology and like my own sickness yeah, in my brain is that because up. their facial expression never changed <laughs> Because they didn't give away the mistake. Yeah, I'm not even watching him play. <laughs> I'd just be like listening to something. Yeah, of course that's how they wanted it. Otherwise, you know, that's how they released it. If they didn't want it like that, they would have fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, you said you've played the last two years. I've with played a, with both, the, both, both years of the, uh, the yeah, Love Mark Foundation two. tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And um, obviously been great events. It's been really fun for, for me to be a part of, but also obviously for a great cause as well. So, um you know, maybe just give us a little background and how. Yeah, so my and... wife Tila, she was, she complained one day of a headache. I think she was like 15 years old. She went to the hospital with a really bad headache, and they were doing tests and stuff. And they're like, "All right, let's take an MRI of your brain." She gets the results back, and they're like, "You know, there's something in your head that doesn't look good." She's like, "Oh my god, like what is it?" Like, "Oh, we're not really sure what it is, but it might be a brain tumor, it might be nothing." So come back in six months and. You know, we'll measure it and see if it's grown. If it's grown, then it's bad. If it hasn't, then maybe it's okay. At that point, she was like, I have a brain tumor. This is terrible. Like, if, you, if you get the diagnosis, like tomorrow, you would think, like, oh, for sure, you know, something's really bad. Six months later after that, she came back for another scan and ended up being fine. So she'd been dealing with this spot in her in her, in her head um, for the last 15 years that has, you know, caused her a lot of angst and anxiety and stuff. It's something in her brain that they can't diagnose. Hmm. But it hasn't grown in 15 years, so she's totally fine. But... A couple of years ago, she was toying around with the idea of um, starting a foundation for brain tumor patients. That's just very personable to her. And one of her really good friends back in Connecticut, actually, her brother was diagnosed as, with a brain tumor. He was a swimmer at Michigan, like a normal dude, six foot three, sick athlete. He's doing great now, but just a you know, just, just a thing that can happen to anybody at any time. And she created this foundation, uh, the Love More Foundation, we called it, um, about two years ago. Steely's played it both years. We've had two charity events in Hudson National. It's in New York. Um, the last couple of years, we've raised, I think, uh, about $250,000 in the last two years. That goes to benefit patients that have it and like their day-to-day activities. So whether it's like getting to an MRI appointment or like paying a logical bill or whatever just to make their life a little easier so the biggest thing for us is having the tour players play like Brandon Steele just guys like that make people want to play our tournament we can you know charge them a decent amount of money to end up playing with you know with Steely and Keegan and Luke Donald and you know all these different guys that end up playing so and we can raise a lot of money but yeah it's been really incredible she's done a great job with it um this will be our third year coming up and hopefully you know third of many so you landed on more of the care support side as mm-hmm. opposed to research. Had, what, what was that process like as far as deciding? Did you just know immediately, like, we want to be? Didn't know immediately, no. We weren't really sure what to do with the with the funds, although we created the foundation with the intent to help more so people. Obviously, there's, like I said, research is super important for any kind of disease, but there's a lot of money that gets poured into that. But the day-to-day mm-hmm. stuff that people have to deal with kind of sure. gets lost. So um, she befriended the main neurosurgeon at the Yale Hospital in New Haven, and she was like, we need help kind of directing the funds. She's like, well, I had a patient last week who has a stage four brain cancer and she can't get to her appointment. Right. She can't afford to fly to New Haven and get a, get a MRI. So we're like, that's perfect. So let's just funnel the funds into a, a thing that can help pay for their expenses. That's awesome. Really cool. I mean, really, really cool. Really, really rewarding. And a lot of guys have different foundations out here and we all kind of try to help support each other, which is a nice part of the tour family yeah it's definitely nice to see that from the outside as well like seeing families supporting the different families that are on tour and kind of pooling resources not 
just financial, but time and energy and efforts and talents into making that. Making yeah, that I mean, the outreach for, you know, Jared Lyles had a really tough go the last couple of years, and you know, there's tons of support from the tour and, you know, all the guys in Australia and even the PGA Tour, the European Tour has been really good. And there's a component to that as well. I think that's unique, maybe not unique, but at least at the very least special for golf where you don't see that or hear that in other professional sports to the, to the same extent. There isn't as much of a feel in that large family sense of, of the whole group trying to rally around different things inside the, th- the organization in different ways. You know, I think that's a really special thing that goes on. Yeah, we're 200, I guess, what, 200 players, 150 players week in, week out. That's like a big team. We're all individual players. But, you know, together we're a team. You know, football's got, what is it, 57 guys times 32. So, you know, it's just it's a smaller pool of people. We see each other every week. You know, we're all same restaurant, same hotel. So, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice big family. Everyone's very supportive. Good stuff, boys. Jamie, where can people follow you online? So this is your chance to plug yourself, oh, plug man. the foundation. Oh, man, 5,000 followers. I get, do I have more than you do or no? You do. Yes. On Instagram. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, I'm crushing so you. So I quit Twitter. I had a decent Twitter. Twitter. I had a, is it because I was crushing you? Yeah, surrender. No, I had a decent Twitter following a bunch of years ago, like 18,000 people, which is a, it's a big deal. And I so I deactivated it for a month, and after a month, it's just gone, which I had no idea. So that's gone. And then, um, so we that, created. That's a really large number when you're talking to a guy in Lincoln Park. Eighteen thousand. That's like yeah. that's like that's like one <laughs> run retweet, not even. Um, foundation dot com. It's a great place to you know get info about our foundation and um, you know, all the all the great stuff that my wife and I do. So. Um, check it out. And the Instagram was, did we already get that one? I think we did. <laughs> All my 5,000 followers. And, and the, Jamie Lovemark. Might get to 5,200 by the end of the night. At Jamie, J-A-M-I-E. Yeah, dot Lovemark. Lovemark. Or not, not dot. Just Jamie Lovemark. We're confused about our handles, too. But we so. are. There's, <laughs> and there's too much going on. Brendan, where can, where can people follow our stuff? How Good many, luck. How many Instagrams Good do you have? Luck do you have three this? or four? How many what? Instagrams do I have? You have three. At least three. I'm, I have. Brendan Steele. Brendan Steele Golf. Member guest official. Yep. Member guest official. Yep. So Instagram, follow us at member guest official. Twitter, at member guest. And you can always catch up with us online at member guest.com. Uh, catch up on all the episodes there, as well as iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. And be sure to subscribe and rate us five stars because that's all we're looking for. That's all we care about. It's all Just we care five about. stars. And how can, how can the Brendan Steele super fans follow your private? Instagram account. What do they need to do? Just keep requesting. Slide in those DMs. Yeah, exactly. Somebody <laughs> hey, yelled that at me on the range last week. He had a I lot was of turning my phone off. They were like sliding in those DMs. Huh? <laughs> he had a lot of comments on his sexy calves today on that uh, Brendan Steele golf post. Yeah, I told like you five they, of them. Yeah, calves game. Jamie, you arrived as a guest, leaving as a you leave as a member. Oh, thank you very much. Any final thoughts? That was awesome, man. We had a great time. Nice beer. Nice hang. All about the hang, Special right? Special thanks to the brewery representing here in St. Louis. St. Louis. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Mark. May your drives fly straight and your guitars stay tuned now and forever. Adios. Thanks, guys. I'm out. Thanks, Jamie. That was great. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. Good job, bro. Thanks for your time.